happy Mother's Day. Um, happy Mother's Day to, to all the ladies um, who are, uh, by a gift of God, um, women who, who are capable of uh, exemplifying the virtues of, of femininity that the Bible holds forth. Uh, whether you have uh, borne your own children or have uh, blessed others uh, who are not your family with those virtues, we thank you for that. We celebrate you. And uh, we just encourage you to, um, to embrace and to celebrate with us the things that our culture is, is urging you to disown and to uh, suggest that you are no different than any other guy. Okay, We, we encourage you to recognize the gifts that God has given you, and we thank you for that. Um, we won't be talking about uh, motherhood, though, right now. Um, I ask you to join me in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Gospel of John, chapter 1, and we'll be looking at the first few verses. Um, I always feel like I need a little explanation for a choice of a passage, for a, a one-off opportunity to teach um, I, I have the privilege of teaching at Central Africa Baptist uh, uh, University, and um, a, a growing interest of mine over the years that has been within my uh, area of teaching has been the doctrine of the Trinity. And so if I'm given the opportunity to speak, uh, chances are I'm going to talk about the Trinity. So here we are in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and we'll be looking at the first uh, five verses here. John chapter 1. Let me just read the text of these first five verses. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. These verses come, uh, the first five of them, in a larger section, which we would call, uh, often refer to as the prologue of John's gospel, verses 1 all the way to 18, where John begins describing the word. And, and John's prologue is, is just a masterpiece, tremendously uh, worded, carefully thought out, um, just uh, the Spirit's uh, communicating of divine truth to us is just so evident in these verses. Its themes are clear for the most part. We know what John is saying, and yet, if you've read them, you would probably agree with me that they're, they're tinged with a, a majestic and, and sometimes an ineffable mystery. Like We know that John is talking about things that are deep and, and have weight and substance to them, and, and sometimes there, there's mystery. And so just to apologize in advance, I, I'm sure I will not be dispelling all the mystery uh, within these first few verses, but I do hope to encourage you uh, in your reading of the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is unique among the four Gospels. Um, they estimate 90% of what John says uh, is found only in John's gospel compared to the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have a lot of overlap, definitely communicating the same truth, but they are communicating it from somewhat different vantage points, different perspectives. John is unique among them for uh, the, the extended passages of Jesus' teaching um, and for the subject matter that he chooses to include. 
the, the words of John, especially in the first few verses of the gospel, uh, just by way of introduction, can sound a bit impersonal to us. Um, G- John is writing a gospel to introduce us to this man, Jesus, who lived for 33-some years on the earth, died, and was raised again. And John has a theological purpose. He's not just telling us history to satisfy our curiosity. He tells us at the end of the gospel, and we'll read that later, not right now, but he says he has a purpose that you would know who Jesus is and that you would believe in him and that in believing you would have life through his name. He's clear about what his goal is in this gospel. But he, he does begin the gospel with words that could sound impersonal to our ear by calling Jesus the word, right? Because he's, he's introducing where this man, Jesus, came from. What are his origins? Is he just a normal human being? And the prologue tells us of his, of his, his deity, his divine origin. And John uses this term, word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And this is a, a description that's unique to John. We don't find it elsewhere in scripture, at least to, to the degree we find it in John. And we shouldn't lose sleep over John's style here. It does seem to be something about his style. It actually uh, reminds us a little bit of how he begins to talk about the same thing in 1 John, his, his epistle. Remember that later in the New Testament, which was written years later. He says, that which is from the beginning, that which we our hands have touched, we've seen concerning the word of life. Okay, He uses this that which phrase. And you might be thinking, why can't he just say he who or Jesus, or, right? Okay. But this is, this is a style of his, and, and it does uh, relate partly to the fact that he is addressing divine mystery, something that uh, has to do with God in all of eternity before the Son of God became a man. But he's also intentional about it, too. John uses the word of God in a unique way, which I hope to explain in just a second. Uh, but for now, let me just mention that He's not impersonal in the way that he describes Jesus. You'll you'll need to read further, not now, unfortunately, but in your own time. Read through the rest of the Gospel of John. You'll see that that John has much to say about this Word of God, and you'll find that it is indeed personal. He's full of grace and truth, you'll read in verse 14. You'll find that the relationship between God and the Word found in these verses uh, is, is reworded later in the gospel to the Father and the Son. Now, that's a key relationship. And we're talking about the very same relationship, just the terms have changed. So John is definitely talking about a person. He's talking about the eternal Son of God. Why does he call him the Word? There's been some debate about that, some question. Um, incidentally, that's where we sometimes hear Jesus referred to as the Logos. That's just the Greek word for word, okay, brought into English that way. Some have thought, well, maybe that's uh, John using a common term within the philosophy of his day. Um, the word logos was used to describe the, the, the governing principle and, and kind of the logic of how the universe is ordered, and that's where even we get our word logic. Um, and, and maybe he's describing Jesus along those lines. But that doesn't seem likely. What seems most likely is that John is, is using the term word and the word of God in much the way that the Old Testament does. In the Old Testament, we have 
God described and his activity described by the word of God. The word of the Lord came to this prophet or that prophet. Um, by the word of God, the, the heavens were created, we read in Genesis. Um, we find elsewhere in the scripture that the word of God has a preserving and, um, and, uh, and cultivating effect in the world. John seems to be tapping into that. He's, he's using that term, the word of God, to describe Jesus. One writer summarizes and says, in short, God's word in the Old Testament is his powerful self-expression in creation, in, in revelation to us, in salvation. And, and John is personifying it. He's, he's taking that word and he's, he's actually applying that now to Christ. Uh, and that makes it suitable for John, this writer says, to apply it as a title to God's ultimate self-disclosure the person of his own son. And I think that's why we, why we have this term, the word of God, as a, as a way to introduce us to Jesus. And lastly, sorry for the long introduction, by way of intro, we should also realize that the prologue, and especially these first five verses, are not intended to be read in isolation. We're just reading them in isolation because we don't have the rest of the day available to us. So I'd encourage you, um, recognize that these are not a self-contained message all on their own. We're just getting started, and so you need to read the Gospel of John in its entirety, and ideally within a short period of time so you can kind of get the big picture of it. I'd encourage you to do that uh, in your own time. For now, let's begin in the text. And I'm going to work through this text just by asking three questions. And first of all, uh, we just need to ask, who is the Word? And that's, that's how John begins this, this uh, text. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and he proceeds to describe him further in verse 2. Well, just by way of listening to John carefully, taking him on his own terms, we can ask, well, what do we know about this Word from what he said? Well, we know, first of all, that the Word was before the beginning. Look at, look at that very first line. In the beginning was the word. What beginning is John talking about? That would be important to know because at that point, wherever that beginning is, the word was already there. Okay, so when's the beginning? That's the question. Well, John uses this very same phrase in his letter later on, uh, decades later as he's writing in, his, in an old man, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, that which we have seen from the beginning. See, he, he's not gotten away from that. His thinking has actually stayed on course through the decades of his life. Uh, we find that same phrase, in the beginning or from the beginning, from Jesus' own lips in Mark chapter 13, verse 19. Jesus uses this phrase, from the beginning, when God created the world. Okay, so that gives us a clue. And, and in fact, can you think of another book of the Bible that starts with, in the beginning? Okay, this isn't a class, but you're, you're free to welcome to say it. I heard you say some of it. Genesis 1-1, right? And I think that's what John is getting at. In the beginning, okay, what was going on in the beginning? The word was. Now, what's really clear in the way John describes it is that the word did not begin at the beginning. That is crucial, friends. 
don't think in the beginning the Word began. That's not at all what John is saying. He is saying, in the beginning, the Word was already there. And this is his intro to describe Jesus in the Gospel of John. So he has origins that go back before creation, John is saying. Another way of saying that is that he pre-exists. And that's kind of a confusing thing in our mind. But just rewind, okay? Take that man Jesus in history whose teachings and whose life brought about the, the way, Christianity, the Christian faith. He's not just some man. He existed before he became a man. He became man, John 1.14 says, which means he was before. But he wasn't beginning at creation. It wasn't when he was, that's not when he got started. He doesn't have a beginning. When all things began, the word was already there. Most significantly then, John does not say that the word has a beginning. He does not attribute a beginning to the word. All created things have a beginning, true, but the word does not. And that's absolutely essential if you want to understand who Jesus is, and if you want to believe in him, and if you want to find eternal life in him. You have to understand he is not a created being. At the beginning, when everything is getting started, he is not beginning. He's already there. There's a lot more we could say about that, but let's move on. In the beginning was the Word. John continues, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So here's the alternative. In the beginning, the Word isn't starting. Instead, he is with God, and he was God. Let's, let's see what John has to say about that. One might be tempted to, to go beyond what the scriptures say, and sadly many have, to teach, okay, the word didn't, didn't become created in Genesis 1.1. Maybe he had an earlier beginning, even farther back perhaps, a beginning when God created the word. But friends, that is dead wrong, and we don't get that idea from the scriptures. An honest hearing of Scripture will not allow that. Even, even the rest of verse 1 makes that completely impossible, that the Word is a created being. John does not give us that impression at all. John's expression, being with God in the beginning, friends, that is a clear indication that the Word is not a creature, but instead belongs to the same category as God. He's not beginning. Instead, he's with God. And that is essential uh, for us to understand who Jesus is. Scripture uh, calls us to think of reality really in terms of two categories. There is the creator and there is creation. Can you think of anything else other than those two categories? Is there some third category, the creator and that which he made? Not from the scriptures. Those are really the only two categories. And that Simplicity actually helps us understand the, the scriptures, the message of the Bible, and it helps us understand this text. If the word does not have his beginning with creation, but is instead with God in the beginning, which category does he belong to? He's with the creator. He is, in fact, the creator of all. More than just pre-existing, he 
the implication is that the word is eternal, like God is eternal. And eternal means having neither beginning nor end. That is the word. He is uncreated. And the scriptures call us to organize our thinking along those lines, the creator and the creature. But John continues. He says at the end of verse 1 that the word was with God, and he says, and the word was God. Now, as, as many have observed, John's words here and elsewhere contain some of the, the very basic essential truths which reveal God to be triune. We don't find all of those truths packed into this verse, but these are the essential ingredients, the essential truths that would help us to get in that direction, to understand God as he's revealed in the scriptures. And I say that because John's very careful, very meticulous wording here communicates plurality in God. And and I want to show you that. This plurality is communicated uh, actually with the two phrases, with God and was God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. That may sound redundant to your ear, but John is using those two together to help us understand something very important. If we were to take one of those phrases and uh, hold it up and kind of ignore the other, we would, we would get into problems. Here's, here's an example. Let's take the phrase, the word was with God. If we focus only on the word being with God, we could draw the wrong conclusion that the word and God are entirely distinct and he just happens to be with God, maybe in his presence, but he's something. Maybe he's, maybe he's a created being. Okay, so if you only focus on with God, it sounds like there's some distance between God and the word, and they're, they're entirely different. Or if you were to take the second phrase, the word was God, and if you were to park on that one and ignore the other one, you could also draw a wrong conclusion that the word is all that there is about God. If the word is God, word equals sign God, then there's nothing else. You see the problem there? So, friends, don't take these phrases in isolation. They're working in tandem. Put them together. The word was with God and the word was God. And when you put those together, you see plurality. He's with God, seemingly a reference to the Father, and what deity is, belongs to God, the word has as well. One writer summarizes it this way. I wish I could be this clear. The word does not by himself make up the entire Godhead. Nevertheless, the divinity that belongs to the rest of the Godhead belongs also to him. Brilliant. What a, what a great, clear conclusion. The word was with God. The word was God. Keep those phrases together in your mind. And by, by way of reflection, before we move on, we have this word, this word of God. He is in the beginning. He's with God. He is God. We need to understand that we don't have to fully grasp this mystery in the Godhead before we are capable of confessing it. Do you see the point? Do you understand all of just John 1.1, 1, 1, just this first verse we've looked at? Have you, has your mind completely got it figured out? Chances are most of you are sitting there saying, wow, I, I get it, but... There's still some mystery. And friends, that's okay, because if your mind were capable of comprehending God, 
then that would seem to mean that he is your peer or he is less than you and someone else deserves your worship. So don't, don't be alarmed if, if you are confronted with the God of Scripture and there is a level of mystery and wonder and, and inadequacy on your part to fully understand it. That's, that's a good thing. The Bible says that the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts and your thoughts. So for us to fail to completely understand is okay. You can still believe and trust and, uh, and live out these truths even if your mind struggles to fully grasp them. This person whom John introduces in this gospel is the eternal word of God. He, we find in verse 14, becomes flesh and dwells among us. He's the only begotten Son who, who visibly makes known to us the invisible God. We find that at the end of the prologue in John chapter 1, verse 18. If, if you're already in John chapter 1, let's just read that one. John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. Do you see that plurality there as well? No one has seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. This is the, the Son of God become man like you and I. This is Jesus. He's, he's the one who uh, John the Baptist announced as, quote, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world in John chapter 1, verse 29. And just to stop here for a second, do you know this word of God? Do you know him personally? Do you, do you have a relationship with him? And have you turned your life from all of the, the futile things and the useless things that have tempted you, and have you turned away from those things to follow him? Because this is who he is. He is in the beginning. He's before the beginning. He's with God. He is God. He deserves your allegiance. He deserves your, your obedience. Let's continue. We can ask a second question here. What's the word's relationship to everything that has a beginning. I mean, beginning is a clearly a key term here in John. He's, he's focused on the beginning. So if the word didn't start at the beginning, he, he has no beginning, then what is his relationship to everything that was created? John tells us that quite clearly in chapter 1 and verse 3. He says, All things were made through him, and in case we're still a little unclear, John says, and without him was not made anything that, has, that, that was made. A little awkward wording, but you get the idea. John is saying all things were made through the word, and if you can find any made thing, any created thing, just know it was made through the word. And that is, that is the point here that John is getting at. We saw in verse 1 that the word does not come from the beginning. Instead, the opposite is true. The beginning of all things comes from the word. So he's not passive as he's there at the beginning. He's not just folding his arms back and observing creation taking place in John chapter 1, or in Genesis 1, sorry. He is the one through whom creation is taking place. The beginning of all things comes from him. Everything was made through the word, who was with God and was God. Now, friends, we, we, have to, we just have to appreciate how, how radically different what John is saying is from the prevailing viewpoint 
of his day. The, the common understanding in philosophy in that day uh, comes from Platonism. You, you probably have heard the Greek philosopher Plato. Don't worry if you've not heard about him. Um, but he was influential in the way people believed and thought. And he taught that reality has two components. There's the good, whatever that is, God maybe, and there is matter. Matter meaning the physical that we see and touch and interact with on a daily basis. And he said the two are both eternal. You've got God who is eternal and matter that's eternal, the physical world. And they've always been, both of them. And they have this back and forth dualistic relationship. So God can't create because nothing had a beginning. There is no beginning. So for John to even say there's a beginning is, is automatically would get people's attention. The good, according to Plato, then can't be a creator. All he can do is maybe rework what has been there eternally and has no beginning. Later on in the, in the days of the early church, a few centuries later, the philosophy of, of Platonism was still in vogue, but it was modified a little bit. Instead of thinking of an eternal God working with an eternal matter, it actually became common in the days of the early church then to, to merge those two and to put God and creation all on one scale. God, of course, at the top. He's perfection. He's what it means to be and to exist. And everything else is kind of a, a scale or two or ten farther down from God. And, and perfection is at the top and is with God. Now, this is hardly an improvement, friends. <laughs> because now there's no distinction between God and that which he made. Because it's all part of him. And the result is pretty pantheistic, meaning God and creation, there's no clear line between those. They're, they're mixed. Uh, you, along this philosophy, then would have seeds of the divine in you. Okay, and, and your goal then would be to move up that scale of perfection towards God. And, and this was the view that pervaded in uh, John's day and then later in the early church. But friends, quite the opposite. Scripture affirms that God created everything. And even in our day, you can think of theories of, of reality that are opposed to Scripture. Like, for example, the beginning happening uh, without any sort of divine being whatsoever and happening a long time ago and apart from any sovereign good intention of a creator who has always been. The Scriptures teach just the opposite that God created all things out of nothing. There was nothing before, no matter, no universe, and God created. Did he have to create? No, he's entirely free. God doesn't get his identity or his being or his meaning and purpose from creation, because that would mean then that he was lacking those things before. God's always been. And there's never been a problem. The Word of God and the Father and the Holy Spirit have existed eternally and in perfect fellowship and harmony and mutual giving of glory, as Jesus will describe later in the, in the discourse in the upper room, and freely, with no impulse, no, no necessity associated with God. didn't say, one of these days I have to create because, no, there's no, none of that. Entirely free, God in his own 
sovereign purposes said, let there be light, there was light. God created the world, and friends, he did it through his son, the word of God. He did it by, through, even for his son, the New Testament affirms. Just listen to what the rest of the New Testament uh, says about this. Listen to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, the author of Hebrews says, In these last days God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. God made the universe, and he did it through the work of his Son. The Son is the creator. Revelation 3, 14, we find uh, the, uh, the, the letter, one of the letters to the churches and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write these things. The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. You see that same theme echoed? Creation begins with the Word. The Word has neither beginning nor end. He's eternal. He's with God. He is God. And all created things find their beginning in him. And John, just as I mentioned, he, he wants to make sure we don't miss this. And without him was not anything made that has been made. There's, there's nothing that he did not make. In fact, uh, we find that this is an airtight category that, that Paul the Apostle uh, takes time to expand just in case we're tempted to think, well, what about the spiritual realm? It's one thing to say that God created matter, the material realm. What about demons and angels and you know, all that kind of stuff? And... and Paul makes that clear in Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, referring to the Son, all things were created, whether it's things in heaven or things on earth, whether it's visible or invisible. And then he now describes some of these invisible things which are not available for us to see or to observe, but he says it would include things like thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, angelic hierarchies of which we have no personal knowledge outside of Scripture. Even these, Paul says, all things have been created through him and for him. And just like John, Paul, sa Paul says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. These are airtight categories, the creature and the creator. Do you know who Jesus is? He is the creator. He is the eternal word of God. John goes on in these verses, verses 4 and 5, uh, with his prologue. And um, verses 4 and 5, I will, will admit, are, are challenging. Um, he says in verse 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, these are, these are tough words to, to understand. I, I will admit I've struggled with them. Um, they require our attention. Has, has John moved on now from creation, and is he describing the word's redemptive work? That's often how these are explained. In him was life. What kind of life? Well, eternal life, right? Um, the light shines in the darkness. We think of the darkness of this world. The darkness doesn't overcome the light, and, and we're automatically thinking in redemptive categories, right? Or, the other option would be, is he still expanding the creation theme, and is he describing the word as creation's source of light and life? Um, I don't completely know the answer to that. 
it, it does seem like John is continuing the theme of creation at this point. It seems like he's describing the word's relationship to creation. That's my, my best understanding of verse 4. In him was life. Okay, so where did the life come from in the created realm? Remember, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, he creates animals and plants and humanity. Where did that life come from? Well, if John is still describing creation, as I, th I think he is, then he's saying the word of God is the source of that. He is the, the life uh, that is the light of men. It, where did you get your life? You get it from the word of God, the eternal word of God. And just like uh, we read elsewhere in, in scripture, light shines in darkness. John seems to be still describing the, the creation event. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Darkness didn't overcome it. There was darkness before, and God's light shone, and creation began. And John places the word of God in the very center of all of that. But it's important to realize that the word's redemption, his work of salvation, is not far away in John's thought. And in fact, it's not wrong to even start thinking about redemption, because can you think of Jesus' own words in this gospel where he describes himself as the light of the world and the, the life? He, he does. And, and I think that's even intentional on John's part. So though he may be describing creation here in these verses, verses 4 and 5, he is prompting and preparing our minds to think about the words redemptive work. And I, I want to mention that briefly. Listen to Jesus' own words in John 8, 12. And, and here, in John 8, 12, he describes himself in terms of light. In fact, please turn there with me so you can, you can see this with me. John 8 and verse 12. John 8, verse 12. Jesus here is uh, addressing the Pharisees, and uh, there's a lot of controversy in his re uh, relationship with them, and he's teaching them spiritual truths they're unwilling to accept. Listen to what John says in verse what Jesus says in verse 12 of chapter 8. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Okay, so here though, he, he has a clear redemptive focus because look what he says. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Notice we have light and life now converging in these verses. And here, the focus is about the, the, the saving work of Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world, referring to God's truth in, contra in contrast to the darkness and the, and the moral degradation of, of all of what goes on around us. He is the light of the world. And whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, i.e. in that which is, is fallen and depraved and, and is opposed to God. Following Jesus will bring light and life. One other passage here where Jesus... Uh, takes uh, to himself this description, this time of life, John 11, verse 25. Please turn there with me as well. And this is, I'm just illustrating how these light and life themes that are still on the topic of creation in chapter 1 are going to unfold in this book uh, to describe also Jesus' redemptive work. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus is at the graveside of his friend uh, Lazarus, who's just passed away, and Jesus says to his sister, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And so with these, with these five verses, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, we, we see where the word comes from. He has neither beginning nor end. He is eternal with God. We find later in the prologue that he becomes man. He takes on flesh. He dwells among us. He reveals God's glory to us. He shows us the invisible God visibly to us by being a real human being. And in this prologue, John is helping us to understand who Jesus is. And this is all part of that persuasive purpose that I mentioned that John has for his gospel. He says in at the end of this gospel, in John chapter 20, verse 30, he, he admits Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. So John acknowledges there's a lot about Jesus' life and ministry that I just could not record. Um, he also says later on uh, at the very last chapter, if I did record them, I don't think the books of the world could contain them. So I'm only writing one book. I have to pick and choose. Uh, but he says in verse 31 of chapter 20, these are written, I've chosen these to write down, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's, it's hard to think through exactly how best we should reflect as we come to this passage because it's, it's so broad and expansive and all-encompassing. But for now, we could, we could just think of it in terms of uh, have, you, have, you, have you met Jesus, this eternal word of God, in salvation? Have you been a recipient of his, of his saving work? Do you have light and life in your life through this, this man, Jesus, who is the eternal word of God? And then, assuming the answer is yes, then, Next question would be, are you living your life in accordance with his, with his purpose for you? We saw in these verses that, that you don't have your own independent existence. Your life is not your own. You didn't, get it. You, didn't, you didn't get it for yourself. It doesn't come from you. It comes from the Word, the eternal Word of God who is with God in the beginning and is God. And that means, friends, that your existence, your life, doesn't belong to you. It's not for you to, to choose what you, what you do and, and how you act and what you prioritize because it is the word of God who called you into existence out of nothing. And that means that the purpose for which you should live should be his purpose. You should follow Christ with your life. Let his words be what uh, you are following, what you are obeying, and let him determine the course of your life and because he is the eternal creator he deserves your worship and your obedience let's pray father we thank you for uh, your word we thank you for the eternal word of god who has come in the flesh to be a real human being to have humanity in its fullness except without sin and we thank you for his life living among us showing us your glory, thank you that as we see him, we can indeed see you, the Father. We ask that you would help us as we uh, think about our own relationship to Christ, that we would, um, if we are not obedient to him in some area, that we would bring our life into conformity to that. 
Help us, Father, to live our lives with the purpose of knowing who the Word is, uh, knowing more of Jesus, becoming more obedient to all that He has commanded. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.